Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dr. John Zangardi, the Homeland Security Department's Chief Information Officer. John, welcome back to the program in many ways. Thank you, Jason. Glad to be here. Uh, Hello to all your listeners. In many ways, you've been on my program before, but it's been years, and I think it was the time I think you were back your days in the Navy. So uh, this is a little different. This is the first time as the Homeland Security Department CIO that you're on the program. So there's plenty to catch up with, plenty to talk about. So let's start with the hottest topic in government today, IT modernization and cloud computing. Where is DHS with your IT modernization strategy? We have not changed on the initial strategy we set out. Uh, We fundamentally believe that a hybrid, traditional, on-premises and cloud IT approach that's multi-cloud, meaning multiple uh, cloud service providers, multiple infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, and software as a service providers is the best approach to meet the DHS enterprise requirements and further our strategy to support any early adopters and further on downstream for the department. The big thing for us right now is to take a look at where we've had successes And uh, most recently, we completed consolidating down at Stennis Space Center. There's a data center down there. We closed out two zones, zones A and B. Of those zones, we moved out 229 applications, 74 of those applications from um, DHS HQ, CBP, CISA, FPS, OneNet, TSA, CIS, moved to other parts of that data center. But from ICE, 155 applications migrated to the cloud, 79 were in production, uh, 145 of those were SharePoint sites. So here's the key thing, and when you talk about cloud, this is one of the big advantages. ICE retired 853 pieces of hardware, right? That's savings, that's power, that's everything we care about. So our focus right now is within the HQ organization. I'm going to start with training. We've held two cloud stand-down days where we were doing online training. In the uh, initial phase of this, is to focus on creating a general understanding of what cloud offers to my workforce. So this is about the OCIO workforce. Uh, We're hitting about 97% on the training, which is pretty darn good, knock on wood. The next phase of the training will be starting to focus more clearly on the people who will be executing work and going to sort of, if you will, from a 101 kind of college course on cloud to a 202 college course on cloud. And we want to get to, a, if you will, a 302 college course on cloud. So the next, the last phase will be really focusing on the people who have to deliver the, the services and the exact training they need, including certifications. On the security front, my CISO team is very involved in helping us streamline the ATO process and working through what we need to do to ensure the security in the cloud. I will tell you the biggest concern I have about security in the cloud is configurations. When we put something in the cloud, how can we assure that the pathway to the cloud is fully secure? And that's when you start focusing on uh, what does the internet connection look like or or TIC 3.0 look like? We're going to begin our move to take our TIC out of one of our data centers and move it into uh, one of the local points of presence. We're looking at the ATO process and finding the best way to streamline that process to make things go more quickly. And we're also looking at ways of streamlining our ability to procure cloud services. And we're working that last piece very closely with Soraya Correa from uh, the Chief Procurement Office in DHS. So we've got a lot going on. We're very focused on getting into the cloud in an agnostic sort of way. I believe that there are advantages there for the DHS enterprise 
and government and moving to the cloud. We just have to do it in a smart way that looks at what we're moving and where it should be. Should it be on-prem? Should it be in the cloud? Is it information as, infrastructure as a service or is it something more like software as a service? And making sure we look through these things and understand what we're doing and execute it in a way that's successful. A lot there to unpack. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. You talk about the multi-cloud strategy. In, in many ways, that strategy is required because you have already throughout DHS, whether it's headquarters or the components, so much is already in the cloud. You take USCIS or CBP that you couldn't just say, we're going to go to one cloud. Not, not that you would. Th that's the thought process of why multi-cloud makes mo the most sense for you guys. Well, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I think uh, when I got here, people were already beginning to move to the cloud. So we didn't determine which cloud they were going to go to. They had determined that ahead of that. So we need to have in place a strategy that makes sense for the components. Here's what's important from the component perspective, accomplishing their mission. And let me just take a second and, and, and think about many ways that DHS touches the average taxpayer's life. You show up at the airport, you're going to go through TSA. They're going to screen you as a passenger to get you on board. You come back from an overseas trip, you're going to get screened by Customs and Border Protection. Importing and exporting of goods in and out of our nation works through our network. It is very important that these services be available. And, and the components put a lot of effort into determining where they should be and what works best for them. So in some cases, latency may have been a factor. In other cases, cost may have been a factor. So they work through those problems. So for me to come along and say, no, thou must go here, really didn't work within the context of the DHS mission set. So if you have the multi-cloud approach, are you looking for some way to manage those clouds or are you giving the agency, the components within DHS, kind of a set of standards that they must adhere to? Like, how is that multi-cloud approach playing out? We provide standards to the components that they have to manage to. How, how they decide to do that management, either through a system integrator or with their own um, employees, is really up to them. Uh, the main concern I have from my perspective is the OCIO is mission accomplishment and security of the data that's placed within the cloud. And those are the main things that I think any CIO should be concerned with. How they manage it, as long as they're getting the mission done and they're doing it in a secure fashion, I'm not going to get too excited. Now, for DHS HQ, we are going to rely upon a managed service approach to do ours. Uh, and we'll be laying that out here shortly as we work through all the details here. So I know managed services is one of those topics that gets a lot of attention, but it's probably something you kind of shake your head at a little bit, go and go, what's the big deal? It's something we've been doing and, and the government's been doing for quite a while. So two quick questions on managed services so we don't go too, too deep into it. When you say we're going to be laying out that approach of some kind of acquisition strategy or some kind of draft RFP of sorts? The, the draft RFP is not yet ready. So Jason, you're right. We talked a little earlier about this and I shook my head at it because – if you look back at my history, I've been involved in managed services uh, from the earliest days of NMCI, Navy Marine Corps Internet. So for me, it's, well, that's nothing new. So we're working very closely with the chief procurement officer on laying out a strategy for data center one out of Stennis, uh, data center two in Southern Virginia, and other anchor points within uh, DHS, such as St. Elizabeth's or Mount Weather. So we're beginning to put that strategy together an RFP would unli is unlikely would be the first step in that. It would most likely be an RFI. I would think maybe late fall we might have something out on the street, but I don't want to make that as a hard and fast date because between now and then there's a lot of work. The other piece of managed services that I think is interesting that, that we just go down that path just, just briefly with is when you talk about managed services, it's a 
government-owned contractor-operated model? Is it a contractor-owned contractor-operated model, or is that not decided yet? It's not fully decided yet. I've actually been part of both GoCo and CoCo, and there's advantages and disadvantages to either. I think we need a little bit more time to flesh out the strategy and how we want to approach it. But like I said, I've been through both, and I can see advantages to either. Um, I think we just need time to think about the details. All right, so something obviously to keep looking out for, as you said, maybe the fall, maybe a little bit later on in the year, we will uh, keep an eye out for it. The other piece that you talked about when it comes to uh, cloud and IT modernization is the application rationalization piece. Can you walk me through that a little bit and the process you went by to really decrease the number of applications and or, for instance, you mentioned one of the, the, the components had 145 different SharePoint sites. That must have just drove you a little crazy to see how much duplication that was. And let me just put a little bit different spin on it. So I, I will liken that to business processes. And here, here's what I mean. If your applications are very similar but have small differences, why do you have so many? That implies a lot of extra work and cost to the government, right? Initially, I will say people really had a hard time putting their heads around that. And there was that we used to call it hug your server mentality. It was kind of a hug your application mentality. So fast forward, you know, five, ten years later, and I really get a different sense from the people around who own those applications. They fundamentally understand that drives cost and it drives security vulnerabilities if you're not maintaining those applications. So the mindset regarding change management and business processes is completely different than it was five, ten years ago. And that's really a positive sign. I'm not, Jason, saying it's perfect. But what I'm saying is we've made a lot of progress in shifting the conversation in a way that people are now, you're right, that's what I need to do. I need to get rid of this application because that one over there is close enough. And if I just shift how I'm doing business, I can make that work. It, it is really a different conversation today than it used to be. And that's the key piece that you bring up is if I change the way I do business. Before it was change the application to meet my business needs. And I think that's the other thing that has shifted as well is, hey, my business processes, you know, they're probably okay, but they could be better. I can make them more standardized. I can make them better so they deliver on my, on my needs in a better way. Is that the other big change you've seen as well? I think what we're seeing from folks is in this willingness to shift things. So there's a lot of examples out there where I could think of in the past where we were looking at updating a system for, uh, for foreign military sales and how difficult it was for people to accept the latest and greatest, not because the latest and greatest was new or had color screens. It was because they had to change how they were doing things, right? But we could not maintain the security on that old system. This was about moving to a new system with better capability, more interoperability with the rest of the systems and government that it would have to interface with. People are recognizing that bigger thought process and they're beginning to shift their mindset there. So I think it's good. All right, John, let's take a quick break. When we come back, there's a few other things to jump in around cloud, specifically your stand-down days, which I think are a fascinating way to get training going. My guest is uh, Dr. John Zangardi, the Homeland Security Department's Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Dr. John Zangardi, the Homeland Security Department's Chief Information Officer. John, before break, we we're talking about your cloud strategy, part of your IT modernization. You mentioned application rationalization. There's some great numbers there. I won't try to go through them all, but a couple of things that stood out to me was this idea of moving applications 
from components and headquarters to your data center, but then also reducing and retiring. Like, for instance, you mentioned ICE retired 853 pieces of hardware, huge savings, power, secure, more security. You also talked about moving 229 apps. So what is the strategy going forward when it comes to app rationalization and continued consolidation? The way we're approaching it at HQ is we've established uh, the Cloud Center of Excellence, CCOE, right? And that basically forms how we as a leadership team at HQ talk through how we want to get to the cloud and what we want to do in it. So to, to say it's a formalized membership is would be incorrect. I meet every two weeks with my direct reports, uh, my CTO, my folks who do applications in the cloud movement, my CISO, and my operations folks to go through and talk about issues. So uh, you brought up a couple things. We talked a little bit about the consolidation we did down at uh, Stennis and DC1 from zone A and B into the four remaining unclassified zones I have there and to the cloud. So what we're looking at next is what do we do at DC2 in Southern Virginia? And we're beginning to formulate that plan. So when you look at the CCO, the CCOE group, I'm looking to them to begin organizing the process by which we move. So within DC2, we have applications and systems from HQ, and those include applications from the other CXOs within DHS. So I'm talking about the chief procurement officer, the chief financial officer, even our Chico. So how do we go after those first? And what I'll tell you is I'll give you the classic IT line. We're going to eat our dog food first. So we're going to start with the CIO applications in DC too. And then once we eat our dog food, we'll start moving on to others. But there's other organizations from the DHS enterprise within DC too. And we've got to start working closely with those organizations, those components, to begin understanding their move to get out of there. And that's very important. What is their decision matrix? Are they going to move to DC1 or some other on-prem data center? Are they going to move to the cloud? What are their plans for disaster recovery? All those factors have to be worked through, and we have to begin starting to do that. So within the Cloud Center of Excellence, that group, we need to make sure that we've underpinned it with the right degree or level of knowledge to begin working through these things. So we want to make sure that we have the folks from the security side that can help us with all the security considerations, the ATOs are on time, the folks from operations who thought through what they need begin moving that, the, the brain power from my IS2O or application side of the house to, to actually help them understand what they're doing and make sure they cage their expectations appropriately. So there's a lot of work here to begin laying out this plan, and there's a lot of moving pieces. The reason I cited uh, DC1 zones A and B is there's a lot of expertise that were garnered there. In fact, in our conversation earlier today, one of the things I tasked my team to do is to go back, reach out, and talk to ICE. Understand exactly what they did. And hey, like anyone, you know, plagiarism is the highest form of flattery. Hey, if, if they had a good plan there, we should use their plan. But let's leverage their expertise. Now, we're going to have to look at, at those applications that are in there, and if there's rationalization that needs to be done, we're going to have to take those steps and enter into that negotiation process. I think we'll be able to work that through. Underpinning all of this in my organization is, um, is the training we're doing for cloud. And we mentioned a cloud stand-down that we did earlier in August, and we had outstanding participation. Now, the idea behind that was to create what I call the one-on-one level, so if you work in my budget organization, 
what should you know about cloud? Now, my cores are in there, my contracting organization. So they should have a fundamental or a basic level of understanding of what cloud is. So they know what the right questions are to ask as they're monitoring contracts and vendor performance. So we're trying to put together a set of modules. And remember, plagiarism is the highest form of flattery, leveraging what already exists. And this isn't about creating the wheel. It's about using wheels that have already existed. There's a lot of different modules online that you can find to incorporate into our training to help people begin to understand that. And as you start moving into the higher levels of the training we want to do, we'll be focused on fewer and fewer people. So when you get to the next level, what I euphemistically refer to as 202 training, we really want to focus in on hey, what is the lifting that you people need to do to start moving things to the cloud? Again, at this point in time, we're going to leverage what we can find out there, but we may have to develop some unique training. One of the topics that I keep bringing up with my CISO shop is I want to ensure that security awareness is embedded in everything we do. I suspect on topics like that, we might have to create and maybe even leverage some existing training out there. 302 will be the advanced training. These will be for the folks who are really doing the work. Do I have to provide them or get them certain certifications with cloud service providers so they have that in-depth knowledge that we could do what we need to do? So what I'm getting at here, Jason, is developing an organizational culture, climate, whatever you want to call it, that understands what cloud is, understands the advantages, uh, is smart enough to understand sales talk because cloud does have a little bit of sales talk to it, and can begin making smart financial, security, and IT operational decisions as we move out in that direction. It's a pretty complicated move, and I really think there's a lot of value in making sure that we've thought this through. So I mentioned to you earlier that we're looking at moving our, our trusted Internet connection from D.C. to out to the cloud. That would be our first item that we're moving out into a point of presence. And there's a lot of work that goes into that. I would estimate it's at least a year's worth of work for us to maneuver this and get it out there and rebuild it. That begins the process of laying hands-on metal and applications to start building that experience and getting things where they need to be. Now, we also talked a little bit about ATOs, authority to operate. And one of the first things I did when I got to DHS is I signed out a reciprocity process. And what I meant by reciprocity is if this component or FedRAMP uh, issued an ATO, we need to leverage the controls from that, ATO, from that ATO or FedRAMP, right? Save yourself work. Now, I would say that if you think the work done by that other organization wasn't done right, well, then you probably shouldn't use it. So you don't want to accept things blindly. So we're constantly looking for ways to streamline the process. Now, the other step we took with regards to ATOs is we did something called ATPs, Authority to Proceed. And what I mean by that is rather than waiting for us to deal with every uh, vulnerability or risk that comes up with a particular application or system, we allow it, the system or application, to get on the network sooner, right? So as soon as we can find a way to mitigate the high vulnerabilities, let's get it on the network and we give it a year to clean everything up and mitigate it. And at the end of the year, if it did, we put it into, we give it a regular ATO, put it into the continuous monitoring process, and off it goes. Right, so we've done this in a way that hopefully will help us speed things up because that's really the key. Now, the last thing we did in this process is we're, we're almost finished with uh, our reorg. And we did a reorg to be more functional. And what I mean by functional is I looked at 
the organization and said, you know, we have a lot of my ISSMs and my ISSOs in other parts of my organization. And I wanted to make sure that the process for issuing an ATO did not have setbacks. And by bringing everyone under the same management structure, meaning my chief information security officer or CISO, it allows me to bypass some of that. So if early on in the process, the ISM is beginning to select the tools that they're going to use to control the risk, I want my CISO to be there right at the beginning. And hopefully that will help us take more time out of the process. Also, when, when it comes to it, the CISO is who I hold accountable mainly for security. And he or she needs to be totally involved in that process from A to Z. All right. So you went through a ton of stuff again. Let's back ourselves up for a second. And let me start with the decisions around the, the from the cloud center of excellence. Yeah. So I'm trying not to give you a ton of stuff, Jason, but it's just uh, once you get no, no, talk, get, get you going, in. it's good stuff. No, it's all good stuff. So I know that the cloud center of excellence is run by uh, someone I've known for many, many years, Shmendra Paul. He's been out there speaking about it a little bit. This is a unique idea. Did you pull, did you create this because of when you got to DHS, you saw how, if you will, maybe inconsistent is not the right word or unstandardized maybe is not the right word, but that's what comes to mind. Cloud was being applied. Or did you get kind of a request from the components to say, hey, Dr. Z, we need to make sure we're all going down the path together. How'd that come together? Hey, look, I was in Navy. The last thing I ever did was look for help from DOD CIO. So I, I assure you that my components didn't do that. And I, I, don't mean try- that, I don't mean that in any way pejorative to them. I'm trying to give them a benefit of a doubt. <laughs> <laughs> and they would fully understand it because I'm saying this with a smile on my face. What I saw when I got there was that we did not have full insight and full understanding of what we were doing as an enterprise. And it was the right thing to do to go in there and begin going, hey, what are we doing as an enterprise? And make sure that we're all aligning on the same goals, right? So leave room for mission, but make sure that we understand where we as DHS are headed. And we set some objectives early on. Uh, I will point out that Schmendra Paul is going to be leaving us for another government organization. Yes, he is. Uh, but the Cloud Center of Excellence right now is more of an internal thing to, to my organization. And like I said, I use my direct report. So it's Brian Teeple is a, is a CTO. It's Donna Roy as IS2O. It's Joe Harris is my ITSO. Melissa Bruce is BMO or my budget person. Uh, Paul Beckman is the CISO, plus my deputy, and I think you know my new deputy is now Beth Capello, formerly of ICE. Uh, she came out about two and a half weeks ago, so I'm excited to have her there. One of the things that this Cloud Center of Excellence is able to do is bring together the components as well, or is it more of, from a headquarters perspective, you're giving the components the rules of the road, the, the guardrails to stay in between? So it's both. Uh, policy will emanate from DHS CIO, whether it comes to ATOs and all that. But but as we were talking earlier about the move out of DC2 and how we want to execute that, I want to leverage the expertise of the other components. So whether it's TSA or CBP, or in the case more specific to this uh, discussion is ICE. Hey, ICE just moved a lot of stuff out of two zones in DC1 to other parts of the cloud. Leverage what they did. CBP, CIS, TSA moved to other parts of DC1. Leverage that. So we're going to bring them in. And like I said earlier, plagiarism is the highest form of flattery. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. We're going to see what they did and look for best of breed. 
The cloud stand-down days are, are, are another really innovative approach to making sure people across your organization understand what it means to be in the cloud. And, and I think you make a great point to say our contracting officer representatives and our contracting officers have to ask the right questions when they're talking with industry and can get past that sales of, of hey, move to the cloud, look how wonderful it will be. Those training sessions, how are they accepted by the staff when you brought this idea up? And, and I know probably Soraya Korea, I'll guess here, was, was a huge uh, supporter of it. But how are the other people? Did you get a sense of whether they were willing and able or they were kind of drug a little bit? So, so Jason, this is a short answer. I didn't think of it. It came <laughs> up from my staff. Even better. Which, which is even better, to your point. So uh, Donna Roy and uh, her staff, Ruth Shearer and Tom McCart, they did a lot of work pulling this together. And, and to be clear, I think a lot of the best ideas really don't come from the leadership. They come from the people below who are much closer to the problem, if you will, or the challenge. So that was a percolate up, not a trickle down. And that obviously makes it easier to get people to, to take part in it. Because, listen, we all know we have to do training. Nobody likes to do training. But this is a little – this is not your typical, like, hey, don't click on links type of training. This is a better <laughs> – this is, hey, this is your future type of training, I would I would guess. When you tell people to go do this training, I think it's important to say, hey, this is what we're doing today. It's a stand down. It's the focus. If you want to telework to make this work for you, we're going to let you do that. And I think that plus having all of my direct reports foot stomp on the importance of it and then hold their people accountable. Hey, why didn't you do this when you had a chance kind of thing? It's all of those. It's making sure it's interesting. It's making sure your leadership encourages you. It's making sure that whatever you put together has value that they could see. All right, very good. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can talk a little more cybersecurity. You mentioned the three letters that most uh, CIOs hate, ATO, but we'll talk about that in a minute. My guest is John Zangardi, the Homeland Security Department's Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. For news on the federal pay raise. To learn how other agencies handle IT modernization. To see how Congress funds my agency. For changes to my TRICARE benefits. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Dr. John Zangardi the Homeland Security Department's Chief Information Officer. Now, uh, John, before break, we are talking about some of your IT modernization. You brought up the ATO process, the authority to operate. And in many ways is the three letters that most CIOs just hate. And not because it's not important. It's not because it's not critical to ensure that your systems and, and, and data are secure. But it's, it's usually an arduous process. But you brought up something called reciprocity, and it's been a long-term goal that we've seen across several departments. DOD recently signed a new memo around cloud reciprocity. ODNI has had a reciprocity memo in place for several years. Talk a little bit about what reciprocity means to you and and how are you making it real? Reciprocity means accepting the work that someone else did. So I do less work, right? That's what reciprocity is in its simplest sense. And like I mentioned earlier, if uh, an ATO was granted by one component, why should we hesitate in accepting that ATO if it was done in a way that is well done and doesn't have flaws in how it got there. How do you encourage it? Well, you got to keep talking about it. There is a, a reticence out there to not trust the work of others, that, hey, it needs to be done here, not there kind of mentality. So you have to stay on top of it. 
But earlier we were talking in this conversation about application rationalization and the changes I've seen uh, with regard to business process or change management. And that leadership nowadays is more desires to have a quicker path to an ATO. So leadership is looking for us to be more nimble, to move more quickly, and to get applications and capability out there faster. So I think the fact that leadership demands it and continues to demand it is important. It's how we keep people on their toes by constantly asking them to do something. At the core of all of this is risk management, right? If I'm accepting someone else's ATO or the controls associated with it, I have to think about this in terms of risk management. So one of the mental shifts that has to occur in this whole process is moving from a compliance mentality, which I think is very um, inbred in a lot of organizations, right? To get from compliance, check in the block. Yes, you've got these NIST controls done. Let's move on to one of understanding, well, what's the risk if this happens? So this all comes back to probability of occurrence and consequence of occurrence and and understanding what that means in the context of your mission and uh, the risk you take. So that I think, uh, and I'll give Paul Beckman and Louise Coronado, who who basically run my CISO shop now, a lot of credit for, for moving that out as part of a fundamental way we look at things. I've also asked Paul to, to look back at our uh, cybersecurity instructions, what we know as the 4300A, and to begin to update it. Uh, if you've ever looked at some of these instructions, it's about as Oh, it's almost as thick as my fist. And I've read it. It is not an exciting document. Uh, but how do we, well, we're never going to make it exciting, but how do we write it in a way that's easier for a consumer to read it? So part of it is how do I make this smaller? You know, all in DOD, we, I led some efforts to reduce the amount of instructions, and we were very successful in the case of travel of reducing a lot of the verbiage and getting the thing down to a a more readable instruction. So that's the goal on the 4300. And as you look at this, you start building in a philosophy of risk management, of understanding the risk you're taking on, leadership encouraging people to take advantage of reciprocity within that context, a 4300 and over and guidance in your instructions on how you approach this in a more readable and understandable way, you begin moving down the right path. What happens if ICE, for instance, proves a cloud provider and CBP says, oh, we, we don't trust them. Like reciprocity, that's the key here is, well, whose belly button is going to get in trouble, right? Who's getting pushed? Who's getting brought up to the hill if, again, if ICE approves something and CBP gets hacked because they trusted ICE? How do you give them the top cover or, or support them in, in that concern? There will be probably bad days in government or in industry, and we've seen it. And the DHS network is a highly attractive network to uh, probably a lot of hackers out there in nation states. So the first thing our, our listeners need to know is we are cognizant of that. We take all appropriate steps to protect the data and the network because we view it as a national security mission. There are a lot of dedicated folks across DHS who work hard at that. So you have to take your time when there's a breach or a hack. You have to look at it. How did it happen? Why did it happen? Where was the mistake? So to, for me, just to give you a, an off-the-cuff answer would be no, incorrect. So the, what we would do is we would sit back and go, okay, let's get a red team in there. Let's get a flyaway team in there and understand exactly what happened. Get to root cause. And then once you get to root cause, you go, okay, this is how it's happened. 
what do we need to change in the future, right, to prevent this from happening? So this is less about assessing blame on a particular organization. This is more about understanding what happened and then making sure it can't happen in the future based upon that. Um, I, I, you know, can only speak for what I've seen, and that's the approach we've taken, and I think that is absolutely the logical way that things should be done. Figure out what happened, and that's what we do even when we have a network outage. We go, what was the root cause? Understand what the root cause is. Make adjustments. Uh, if you've been around IT long enough, Jason, you know there are outages on networks, right? And we work very hard to prevent them again in the future. So the technical understanding of what underpins that problem is what you've got to get at to then rectify it. And that's a great segue to talk about the Security Operations Center because when you talk about what gets to the root causes, what's happening on your network, why it's happening, and what can you do to mitigate the risks, I think that's where the SOC comes in. And you guys recently put out an RFI around Security Operations Service. Discuss that effort to optimize your, your security operations centers. First off, I want to start here by giving kudos to the um, the three uh, components that have been working the SOC optimization problem for me for, I'd say, maybe about a year. CBP, CISO, Alma Cole, uh, been working the tools aspect of that. Uh, Nino Schmeni from uh, ICE has been working the uh, the process and procedures uh, point of view. He, and then from the Secret Service, uh, we have Kevin Graber working this. So we have three CISOs from three of our components working to make this better. United under the uh, oversight or umbrella of Paul Beckman is the DHS CISO. So what we're developing here is a, is a process that is inclusive rather than exclusive. We're not telling people what to do. We're asking them to develop certain policies and procedures as a team that we can go forward. So I'm going to start with ICE because that, 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 the work done by ICE on policy and procedures is outstanding. So last year we talked a lot about crawl, walk, run. And I think we're starting to move into the walk phase, and this is uh, an exemplar of that. So last year on the crawl phase, what we were really focused on was leveraging uh, the cybersecurity services uh, program from DOD. And we, we looked at that very hard last year and even into this year to go, what can we leverage from that and make it more DHS-like to put in place inspections of our socks? And this is about raising the bar and getting us to all the same standards. So that is an awful lot of work just to get all of that in place and figure out how you're going to Go do it. So back in June, uh, ICE and their Chandler SOC uh, had the first inspection under this uh, process, and they came out of it very well. I signed off on their ATO, I think, back in June for three years. So, right, that's the first one. And, you know, the first one out of the gate is usually the hardest because you have no advantages there in terms of learning curve. TSA should be next. We're aiming to do it either end of this year, early next year. So what we want to get here is establishing a bar with inspections that goes in and looks at the standards that our SOCs are doing. Now, we have 17 SOCs across DHS, so this is a pretty big uh, project we're undertaking. But if you ask me what's going to make us better, this is the kind of stuff that makes us better. So let's spend a little time talking about CBP and tools. They took on the lead there. Alma Cole probably knows more about tools than any CISO I've ever met in government. And you're shaking your head yes, so you agree with me. I, I know Alma well. I've worked with him on, a, on several occasions. One of the smartest people in government. Right. So here's a guy who knows a lot about tools, and he's going to help us pull that together. 
And he's got to take into account what's going on with continuous diagnostic uh, monitoring and CDM and bring this all together and help us develop a process that DHS SOCs are using tools that provide a high degree of interoperability, allow us to roll up information on a dashboard and provide us that oversight or insight that we should have. So look at when you start and you recognize this, when you start talking about tools, Alma Cole is usually the first name that comes into your head. Lastly, on Secret Service, the CISO there has been focused on how can we get to a single contract vehicle that provides for us the, the workforce that we need to man our socks. So this is about making sure that we are leveraging the right talent. We get the advantages of, I'll say, an enterprise buy. So, you know, quantity, theoretically, you should get better cost. But if you look across each one of these three efforts, we have moved from crawling into walking. We're beginning to demonstrate excellence, and we're moving the bar higher, which is where we want to be in the future. We want to keep raising the bar. As my CISO constantly tells me that when the bear's chasing you, you don't want to be the slowest person. Excellent advice, without a doubt. We've heard that one before. John, let's take a quick break. We can come back. We can continue our conversation. My guest is Dr. John Zangardi, the Homeland Security Department's Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dr. John Zangardi, the Homeland Security Department's Chief Information Officer. Now, uh, John, before break, we were talking about a lot about security. We talked about Security Operations Center and the work you guys are doing to really uh, deal with tools and pro- policies and processes and now contracting. Another big contract that's kind of related to SOC is the EIS, the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions contract from GSA. Every agency is on a little bit of a deadline to move, at least get their fair opportunity solution out sooner than later, but also move to it by uh, the end of uh, 2023. Give me a sense of where DHS is heading with the EIS contract. So, Jason, I'm not going to provide you all the details because we're, we're still working through those. But, but here are some key points. In the CTO organization and DHS, under me, I tasked them to take the lead on pulling this together with complete engagement of the components. And uh, Sean Hughes, who's been uh, running this for me with uh, Andrew Lowe, I've done a spectacular job working through all of the concerns and issues that could crop up from 22 uh, different CIOs and their organizations. So uh, by the end of April of this year, we had gotten agreement at the lower level as to the strategy and the content of what we would be doing. Uh, I believe it was June 6th, we had a CIO council, and I got my CIOs to sign off on the, uh, the, the way forward. So I'm holding off on a lot of details here because we're, you know, we're, we're in the process right now of uh, working through the contracting side of it with CPO and also briefing uh, OMB. So we still have a little bit more work to do there, but we hope to have a draft RFP out there for industry to take a look at. So the key things here are is, for anyone who's ever dealt with an enterprise environment, getting everyone on board is key. And that was a heavy lift, and I give a lot of credit to my team for pulling that off. And for the CIOs and their staff across DHS for trying to find ways to make this work. One contract for all of DHS, if you will, is a big say one fair opportunity for all of DHS is a very big deal. So I'm going to hold off on some of the finer points. And I know there's industry out there who wants to know more, and we're going to get the information out when we can. Um, All right, let me, let me just jump in. So one thing about EIS that we hear a lot from agencies and, and really being pushed hard from OMB and GSA, and again, may not be able to talk to it quite yet, 
but I'll just throw it out there for you. Modernization is really the key to EIS. Is that something that right now you guys are building into the strategy? Is it, or is it more of a let us kind of modernize and move forward and get off the old contract and then modernization comes? Because this is a 15-year contract, so there's plenty of time to modernize at the same time. Can you talk anything about what your kind of the 50,000-foot the, the view of your strategy I look at modernization as something that's a continual and ongoing process. When I think of, and I'll just give you an example, when I think of like end-user hardware, the computers on your desk, uh, if you have a four-year refresh rate, you should be doing about 25% each year. And that reflects into other things. I mean, I don't want servers in my data centers that are 10 years old. So modernization is, is critical. Now, there's other aspects to modernization that we have been working outside of EIS. Uh, you've probably heard me talk in public about we are going to be on modern operating systems, and we put a big effort in DHS over the last two years to get everyone to Win 10. And now we're pretty much on Win 10. The DHS home organization, we're about 96% Win 10. That's a big deal. So modernization is something to me that is not exclusive to EIS. EIS is a means by which you continue to modernize. My point here is modernization must be key to everything. Getting stuck on legacy. If you're running an unsupported operating system, whether it's on a server or on a desktop or whatever, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for a security violation. So you need to refresh your hardware. You need to be making sure that you have the latest software going. When we do patches, we're pushing them hard. You know, this year on our FISMA scorecard, we raised the bar for patching for high vulnerabilities. We, instead of 30 days, it's now 15. So we push that hard. It's really important that modernization be a fundamental in everything you do. There's plenty there to dig out of. Before I let you go, I do know a lot of vendors listen to my program. Any advice for them of how they should work with your office? Meeting with vendors is part and parcel of what we do. And we need to do it because uh, I think innovation really comes from the vendor side. I don't have in DHS, OCIO, an R&D budget. So I'm not developing new technology. That all comes from the, from the vendors. Uh, I know from talking to the component CIOs and DHS and my staff, uh, our preference for engagement with vendors is to really sit down with the folks who understand it, the technical folks, the engineers who really understand the product and can bring forward to us a deeper understanding or a more nuanced understanding of the product. Uh, from my experience, those are always richer conversations than just really the sales pitch. Uh, so I would encourage vendors to, to not be afraid to come in with your uh, engineer, even though sometimes engineers are probably not the smoothest talkers. I'd also recommend fewer PowerPoint slides because there's nothing as tiring as sitting through a PowerPoint brief. A conversation about the topic that's free-flowing is a heck of a lot better. All right, words to live by, fewer PowerPoint slides. Unfortunately, John, we are out of time, so let me thank my guest, Dr. John Zangardi, the Homeland Security Department's Chief Information Officer. Uh, Dr. Z, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. Hey, electrical contractors. I'm Matt from ABB. Are rising costs and product delays keeping you up at night? 
we can help you contractor better. ABB's contractor resources are designed to help you increase productivity and profitability on your commercial construction projects. Check out Contractor Better today. Visit go.abb/contractorbetter.